Names and titles of the Son of God, for the Son of God, part one. Now, in this part one, these names and titles are going to be more related to his deity. And then next week, we're going to look at those titles that are more closely associated with his humanity, although all of them point to him as being God. So, but it's just a way of breaking it up. Now, the first one I want to start with is the, the term Lord, Yahweh, and this is from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus is identified as Yahweh. Let's start in, in Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Okay, Mark 1, <clears throat> the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now right there, let's compare that with Isaiah (coughs) chapter 40, verse 3. These are places we've been before, but um, it's such a critical... The doctrine of Christ is such a critical doctrine. It's it's one of those that we really need to keep in mind. 40 verse 3 says, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord. And remember, in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, where it says clear the way for the Lord, again, the Lord, when he's find it in all cap, in in all capital letters, that's that's Yahweh. That's the word Yahweh, which is that sacred name. It has its origin in Exodus at the burning bush. Okay, that is that sacred name of God. We're gonna we're gonna be there in a little bit anyway. Now, <clears throat> also let's look at uh, while I'm while we're here. Uh, let's go back to Mark. Let me hit Mark one real quick. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Mark 1.1. You look down on your list, you know, one of the, obviously one of the titles of deity is Son of God itself. And so I just wanted to put that in right there. Um, <clears throat> and then if you compare that with John chapter 5, I've already dropped down on my list, but the third title from the bottom on the page 1. But Mark 5, uh, John 5.18 is a good, one of the, again, one of those passages we've seen in the past, but it's a good one to keep in your mind where you can have it anytime, anytime you need to spring it. And somebody comes knocking on your door, if they can actually get to your door, a lot of us, they can't even get to our front doors, but okay. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a good reason. Release the hounds. No. Um, But John 5.18 says, For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, referring to Christ, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So when you see that that term, son of God, that's a term that speaks of co-equality, of the son with the father. It's... So just keep just bear that in mind. Now let's look at Romans ten. Romans ten, 
We're back up to the Lord Yahweh. Romans 10, 9 to 13. Yes, it is. Matter of fact, that whole book of Romans is good for a lot of things. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Matter of fact, that's a good one. Just pause on for a minute, you know, because people say, well, what about, you know, say this, do that. If a person honestly makes a true confession of faith, the scripture teaches whoever believes in him will not be disappointed, period. There's no form- formulas, formality. If you believe in him, who he is, what he did, and that you're not working on your own, that is salvation. That's the, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. Obviously, you believe he rose from the dead and all that goes with it. But if you believe a person firmly believes in him, you will not be disappointed. Verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same, and it's Lord in italics, actually, for the same is Lord of all, according in riches for all who call upon him. And then again, Verse 13 says, Forever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we don't need to turn there, but that's a direct quote from Joel 2.32, where Joel says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And the word there for Lord is the word Yahweh. That is the word Yahweh that is, is being quoted from Joel. <clears throat> So there you have it. So there's two places where <coughs> Jesus is, is uh, equated with Yahweh. Now another term of deity, and this pops up in the Old Testament, we can learn Exodus chapter 3 is the angel of the Lord. Angel, or if you prefer, messenger. So when we're reading in the Old Testament, it's, it's good, and even in the New, when the terms are used, make a distinction between the angel of the Lord and, and an angel of the Lord, okay? Because you'll see both being worded that way, an angel or the angel. An angel is referring to an angel. <laughs> the angel of the Lord the overwhelming majority of the time is referring to, I believe, a pre-incarnate Christ. And we'll get into that in future lessons. But the angel Lord, Exodus 3, 1 through 15. <clears throat> now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. The angel of the Lord, God called to the midst of the bush, the angel of the Lord is the God that called from the midst of the bush. All right, just keep, keep, just keep these as we go through. They're all, they're going to connect. 
Back to verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are <clears throat> oppressing them. Right? Now, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, again, to God, speaking from the burning bush, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the, the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he says, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign that you, <clears throat> to you that I will have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And, and he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. I know it was long, but all the connections there. The burning bush. Who is that? God. God spoke. I am. Then finally, what name shall I call you? I am who I am, he said. I mean, you see that? Everything through this whole passage. The one speaking from the burning bush is the one called Yahweh, the one who is I am who I am. And then, again, Jesus claimed to be that very Yahweh. John chapter 8, verse 58. John 8, 58. And this is one of those, again, <clears throat> don't lose this one. <laughs> this is this is one of those you all you want to have at the ready. John five eighteen eight fifty eight. A lot of them are in the the Gospel of John because it, it's the Gospel of John majors on the deity of Christ. <clears throat> so eight fifty eight. There's a big conversation, and um, I'm going to back it up to fifty six to get a, a little bit of context, where Jesus again speaking to his critics. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And this is the one. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. And then you look at their reaction. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw to him, but Jesus hid himself and went out in the temple. But there it is. There it is. Over and over again. And that's, again, we, we saw that 
last time, but these are good. Just keep good to bring them back, bring them back, and just because it all in, in, interconnects with each other. It's, um, I know it's one thing in studying theology, you, you can't just, it's very difficult, and, and so why try, uh, separating things so out by themselves that they're not independent of each other. Everything interconnects in Scripture. So theology interconnects with other theology. And it's one of the reasons I don't view any division of theology as a throwaway topic. Okay, I, I reject that. I just, that is so foreign to my thinking. It all works together. It all works together. You know, <clears throat> there. The next, next term I want to look at, and it's, it's very uh, closely related to the angel Lord, is the captain of the Lord's host. And we can back up to Joshua for that one. Haven't been in Joshua for a, for a long time. Joshua 5, 13 through 15. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he says, No, rather I indeed came down as a captain of the hosts of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Does that ring a bell? Remove your, remove your sandals. Sounds a lot like Exodus 3, right? Hey, Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Joshua, the man who took, took over for Moses, you're standing on holy ground. Why? Because that captain of the Lord's host just happens to be God himself. Okay, who is? Right. Remove your sandals from your feet. Yeah. Okay. And then we compare that with uh, Psalm 24. Psalm 24, one of the several messianic psalms. Verses 7 through 10, we'll we'll just read those passages. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, the King of glory, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. Selah is one of those things, like a refrain or a pause from our speaking, because we're not striking up the choir here or the (laughs) orchestra. Selah is like, I like like a pause and just like think about what was just said. Selah, think about that. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The captain of the Lord of hosts. Same person. Same person. Same per- and we know this is this Psalm 24 is a messianic psalm. It's just very obvious. 
And then another term, we're, gonna, we're in Psalms, look at Psalm 110, is another word for Lord. The word that there is Adonai, which speaks of uh, the Adonai when used of God, points to his sovereignty and ultimate authority over all things external to himself. <clears throat> Psalm 110, verse 1. And, and we've heard this quoted all we've heard this quoted several times in the New Testament. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Now it says, the Lord says, the Lord, all caps, that's Yahweh. You can say, Yahweh says to my Lord Adonai. Yahweh says to my Adonai. Yahweh, the sacred name, says to the um, sovereign. Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. And one of the other names we're going to see as we move through this, another name for applied to Christ is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Adonai of Adonai. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's just better than them all, bigger than them all, more powerful than them all. And then now let's compare that, what we just read in Psalm 110 verse 1. Let's look at Matthew 22. And there's several places we go in the New Testament, but again, one of the one of the best commentaries you can get on the Old Testament is the New Testament. <laughs> I highly recommend getting with no, you've all got it. I recommend reading it. How's that? <laughs> Okay, verse 41 through 46, Matthew 22. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I... Put thine enemies beneath your feet. Then if David then calls him Lord, how is he then his son? Verse 46. And I love this. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him any other questions. <laughs> I, my... But I mean, he was just—he was just sitting there identifying himself. And these guys were their entire career. And remember, when you get by the time you get to Matthew 22, we're in Passion Week here, and uh, it's all coming to an end. And they've been on him for over three years, right? Arguing and arguing and arguing and bickering. And um, it took them that long to just finally say, "Forget it, <laughs> forget it." We're, you know. They've been bested every time they every time they open up, they're they're big time. But the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make the enemies of the Lord sit at my right hand. The Lord said to my Lord. I mean it's amazing. Again, messianic. Philippians two. Philippians two. This will <clears throat> Philippians two will be one of those topics. And I'm going to do a, a few weeks, two, three weeks down from here, probably on the heels of the names and titles. 
I'm going to do a, a uh, lesson on the, uh, the kenosis and the hypostatic union, so stay tuned. That's where Philippians 2 comes in. That's the kenosis part of it. Okay, Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See that? He is Lord to the glory of God to the Father, and to that person every knee should bow, as in pay homage, give worship to. And when we get into this study, we're going to see the Old Testament says, uh, I'm the God, I'm the only God, there's no other God, there's no other God to be worshipped. I mean, this is heavy-duty stuff. But that's... Um, I mean, you just you put all these things together, put all these things together, and um, it just becomes very obvious who Jesus Christ is, according to Scripture. Okay, you you have to deny the Scripture to deny the deity of Christ. It is just well, it's, it's like I was talking to Ros not too long ago. It's kind of like the doctrine of election. Once a person studies it and understands it, it's everywhere in the Scripture. The doctrine is oh. There it is again, God's sovereign. It's just all over the place. It's, you know, it's just been one of those things that's hiding in plain sight. <laughs> and the deity of Christ is like that. I mean, you see it, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, the next one, here's one that we're going to hear something about here. Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah 7.14, I do want to go back to that one, Isaiah 7.14 for the sake of time, though, I'm going to stop off at Matthew, unless you were one of those guys who took a big sweep and went all the way back to the New Testament. But Matthew, I'll just read it. Matthew 123, um, <clears throat> where the angel speaking to uh, Joseph, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated means God with us. So the virgin will be quoting Isaiah 7:14, where we're going now. Isaiah 7:14 says, "Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign: Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel." And we know that Emmanuel means God with us. And again, there's another statement of deity right there. The fact that the child born to Mary is given the name God with us. Uh, even in modern day math, two and two is four. If you're going to name a child God with us, conclusion, hey, that must be God. All right, is that too, am I stretching One's imagination too far on this one. It's, I see what I mean. It's just it's all it's all there. Now the word virgin in Isaiah is Alma in the Hebrew refers to a young woman, girl, maiden, virgin. Now Alma imp implies a young woman who has not had intimate relations with a man. 
example, and I, I'm going to go back there because there's a couple of words here, and, and because Christmas is coming, I mean, let's face it, the next time we meet here on Sunday, it's going to be November already. So, here, I mean, it's just, it's, it's moving. It's moving. I'll tell you, and it's not slowing down. But Genesis 24. <clears throat> Okay, Genesis 24, verse 43, here's the word um, Alma being used. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and it may be that the maiden, there is Alma, who comes out to draw, and to whom I say, please let me drink a little water from your jar. See, it can be translated any way, it, it's, it's a correct application, but again, the implication, a maiden is one that is, again, unmarried and not uh, been messing around with anybody. It's virgin. Okay? Now, there's another Hebrew word. It's called Bethula. Another Hebrew word for virgin or maiden, young woman, is found in Genesis 24, 16. And it's good for our, it's, it's handy for our trying to get a handle on these words because it's referring to the same girl. Verse 16 of 24 says, And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, that's you know, Bethula, a virgin, and no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. This is the same one, and you read through the, the whole account here of, of Rebekah being chosen for uh, Isaac. And uh, it's consistent. So you got that. Well, now, the word for virgin in Matthew, okay, is Parthenos. Now, Parthenos, which only refers to a woman, has not had relation with a man. Okay? That's the only translation for that particular Greek word. All right? So you look at that. Well, how are we to understand these two passages here in, in Genesis and Isaiah? Well, in the Septuagint, now everybody knows what the Septuagint is? Right? That's the Hebrew Old Testament translated into Greek. Now, the word... Um, in the Septuagint, Parthenos is used to translate Bethula and Alma in Genesis 24, 16, 43, and Isaiah 7, 14. In all three verses that we looked at this morning, Parthenos is the word the Jewish scholars chose, selected, to translate those words. Because in the context of what they're reading, they all meant virgin. Nothing else, not just a young lady of uh, unknown quality or whatever you want to say. Um, I've heard that Bethula is one of the most popular dating names in 2023. Really? Really? No, of course not. You can't trust me. Well, I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if, if it is, I haven't met one yet. <laughs> Okay. Our next one, Isaiah 9 6. Another uh, December is coming passage. Isaiah 9 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Now, I listed under here on our outlines, wonderful counselor speaks of supernatural wisdom. Okay, supernatural wisdom. Mighty God, eternal father, I think kind of speaks for themselves. Okay. <laughs> and then the prince of peace, well, speaking again of Messiah, speaks of the fact that he will establish and maintain peace in his kingdom. Let's mean, well, prince, isn't that less than a king? Not used in this application. What it's, but by saying prince of peace, it's saying that he's the one that's in charge of the peace and will maintain the peace, and nobody's going to thwart that. He's got the power over the peace, all right? And he's, he's top of that pile, okay? Now, some more terms, and uh, we'll pop through as many as we can. Well, the bridegroom, Matthew 9. We're getting to some that are obviously not used a lot, unless you're actually in a passage like Matthew 9, <laughs> studying it to where it would come up. But it's just good to know. And, and the, the names on this list are, is not exhaustive. There's more little names and titles and terms and things. I mean, because let's face it, who is the theme of scriptures? <laughs> I mean, you're going to have an abundance of titles and, and names and so forth. So, uh, bridegroom, 9.15 says, uh, And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom <clears throat> is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. Oh, okay. Let's follow that thought. Let's look to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 1 to 10. It's the, the uh, parable of the ten virgins. <coughs> we're, we're speaking of the same bridegroom here. Then the kingdom of heaven will be compared to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil and flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, and behold, the bridegroom came out to meet them. Uh, it just, this so fits Matthew 24. 20. This is part of that Olivet Discord about Jesus talking about his, his return. Verse 7, then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, saying, No, there will not be enough for, for us and, and, and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in, went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, the point of this one is be ready, okay? We, I think we got that one. The point of this, <laughs> of this parable is be ready. And that's speaking uh, in a salvific sense. Be ready, okay? Be ready. Okay, that's the, in the context of this. Be ready. Don't, um, <clears throat> it's like, you know, when somebody, you know, 
you know, don't be a procrastinator. And that's the message. Don't be a procrastinator when it comes to, well, you know, I like to accept the Lord, but yeah, you know, maybe at a better time, maybe, you know, that, that mentality doesn't work. But that mentality is out there. I used to have that mentality, especially, especially in, in the Catholic, you know. You know, so, yeah, I'll just live the way I want and at the last minute run into a, to a massive confession and chill. <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Indifference is a decision? What's that? Indifference is a decision. It is. It is. Yeah, you're deciding not to do anything, yeah. and which is a wrong decision. Very bad. It could be very... It's speaking eternally, eternally speaking, it can be very costly. Very costly. Now John 3. 3.29. John 3.29. John the Baptist is speaking here. John 3.29. 31. Again, this is John the Baptist speaking. He who... He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is from the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. Okay, and that is... Who is that? Well, that's the bridegroom, a reference John is making to Christ himself, that he was the forerunner for. Okay, then, of course, we've got Son of God. We've already seen that. Let's look at Luke chapter 1. Here he's called the Son of the Most High. I mean, Most High being basically a synonym for God, right? Mm -hmm. Son of the Most High. Again, the angel Gabriel speaking to Mary, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I just had to go on. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, uh, we're in, for the sake of time, we're in John, so the next one, the Holy One of God. There's Mark 124 says it. Let's look at John 6, 6 through 9. We're closer there. John 6, 69. <clears throat> Here's a, another confession of faith by Peter. Where I'm going to pick it up in 68, where Peter, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You can't say anything higher than that. You are the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the Chosen One. And then we're in, we're in John, John 20, 28. <clears throat> A man, Thomas, who has, the, who has to live with the term doubting Thomas for, for, for not only for his entire life, but through all of history. <laughs> Poor guy. 
I think I actually think he was better than that. But anyway, John, Thomas, no longer doubting at this stage of his life, in verse 28 of 20 says, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Okay. Um, when Thomas came full circle on this, he came full circle. I mean, he did not hold back, my Lord and my God. Again, the critics want to say, well, he was just saying, oh, my God. No, he was not saying that. <laughs> he was not, that was not what he was saying. He was saying, he was given testimony to who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. We've already seen that John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, Creator, um, Acts 3.15, in that same vein, uh, in Peter's sermon, uh, he was called the author of life. Paul in Corinthians, he is, Paul names him the power of God in 1 Corinthians 1.24. And Paul refers to him in, in 1 Corinthians 2.8 as the Lord of glory. Um, <clears throat> Paul again in, in, in 1 Timothy well, we can turn there. First Timothy six, fifteen. <clears throat> six fifteen says, speaking of Jesus, which He will bring bring about at the proper time. He was the blessed and only sovereign. And I'm going to keep going on that. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, that's not just in Revelation. I mean, <laughs> that, it's there. Uh, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Blessed Sovereign. We know it's also in Revelation. And in Titus, we're, we're very close. We can look at Titus, one we've seen before, Titus 2.13. Another one to uh, keep in mind, Titus 2.13. Yeah. 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Again, great God and Savior is describing Christ Jesus. That's the, 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 the grammatical setting makes it so. It's not my opinion on that one. Second Peter 1 1, Peter agreeing with Paul, same thing. It says uh, Simon Peter, bondservant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith, the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The exact same wording. God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> Let's end in Revelation. Might as well. Revelation 19. And a lot of these terms, is this, these are not the only places they are. And there's a lot of very similar terms. But like I say, it just they're all over. They're just all over Scripture. Okay. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, I think we saw that last week. He's called the first and the last. That means it speaks of his eternality. Uh, Revelation 19.11. 
And I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Again, all those terms in there, faithful and true, go back to the attributes of God. That's what's being said here. He's holding those attributes, faithful, true, righteous, okay, the judge, (laughs) right? Uh, I mean, it's all there. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Word of God is a title of deity. In the beginning was the Word. You follow that term through, the Word of God. And in the and right there in Genesis, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, okay? And all things were created by Him, okay? Uh, you go back. How was the world created? By the Word of God. By the Word of God. This is not an accident, not, a, not coincidence. This is, this is our God. This is our God. That's who he is. Faithful, true, the word of God. And then 22, verse 13, Revelation, the Alpha and the Omega. I'll pick it up, verse 12, so we know the context that it is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Amen. (laughs) So let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Our Father God and our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much and we honor you for who you are and we do give you glory for everything that we have in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.